The reading of the scriptures from Psalm 140, I invite your hearing and faith, uh, the reading of God's word. To the choir master, a psalm of David. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. They make their tongue sharp as a serpent's, and under their lips is the venom of asps. Selah. Guard me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have planned to trip up my feet. The arrogant have hidden a trap for me. With cords they have spread a net. Beside the way they have set snares for me. Selah. I say to the Lord, you are my God. Give ear to the voice of my pleas for mercy, O Lord. O Lord, my Lord, the strength of my salvation. You have covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further their evil plot, or they will be exalted. Selah. As for the head of those who surround me, let the mischief of their lips overwhelm them. Let the burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into fire, into miry pits, no more to rise. Let not the slanderer be established in the land. Let evil hunt down the violent men speedily. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The uh, the psalm before us is quite obvious as a lament psalm. And I suspect uh, if I was in the congregation, I would be saying, well, for heaven's sake, sneers day. What are you doing with a lament psalm? Why don't you give us something that it's full of praise and exaltation, but if you think about a lament psalms, uh, David is in trouble, and that's why he's writing this lament. If you will, technically speaking, he's in a lamentable estate. Uh, and I know that all of us in this room, sometime throughout the coming year, uh, are going to be in some type of lamentable estate in life. We're going to struggle over something. The venue is whatever it is, but it's going to cause us to struggle in our faith. And the beauty of lament psalms is at some point in uh, these psalms, uh, David's going to turn and begin to praise God. So it's a reminder that when you go through such an estate and the year before us, that we, we need to so turn. We need to uh, reckon that our great confidence is in our great God. So, so in that sense, it's a picture of the coming year. And it is a beautiful reminder that we should always be turning in our hearts, away from our troubles, uh, to focus upon Him who delivers us from all of our troubles, regardless of their venue. Uh, and it, uh, it, it awakens us, uh, to have confidence in God. And and we see that in the first five verses where David prays as an expression of his confidence. Then he aligns himself with God. It's it's always important 
as we are tempted uh, with all the causes in the world today to be steadfast and profoundly riveted uh, to our identification with our great God. Uh, and to know that He's going he's to destroy uh, those who trouble the church. And that he's going to answer our prayers with his presence. So we begin with a superscription. David's the author. Unfortunately, we do not have a precise occasion as to what his troubles are and why he's writing. But there's some threat to him. I personally suspicion that there's some type of court intrigue. So David has been... Uh, anointed and crowned as king, and what happens when you're crowned as king? Well, there's always some type of palace uh, intrigue. Uh, it's the um, it's the old uh, saying, "Heavy is the head that wears the crown." Or maybe it's heavy is the head of the one who was uh, promoted. Uh, or perhaps even heavy heavy is the head of the one who is theologically orthodox in a profoundly unorthodox age. So lots of occasions uh, for trouble. Uh, we also live in an age in which, sad to say, uh, evil is uh, good and uh, good is evil. So we, we face uh, similar circumstances as David. But let's uh, begin with his prayer, verses 1 to 5. Uh, we express our confidence to God when we take our cares before him, and we uh, we pray, and so it is with David. The danger that he's confronting in, as I've surmised, this palace intrigue, uh, provokes him to pray. Uh, prayer, in my own mind, is an act of pure dependence upon God, a recognition of His ability to deliver. Um, there are two verbs that are the content of the prayer: rescue me and. Watch over me or keep me. New American Standard reads, preserve me. Go through difficult times. God, God keep me. It's more than just keep me. Lord, see me faithful to the end. And as you know, in the Christian life, many begin well, but it's important to begin well, but it's much more, more important to end well. And so we ask God to see us through to the end. More critically, uh, there are evil and violent men, and they are plotting evil against David. The text reads in their hearts. And the parallel line is that they stir up strife, or literally the text is they stir up wars uh, against David. Uh, furthermore, it's instructive to me that they are relentless uh, the literal reading of the text is all day long they're doing this. Uh, New American Standard reads uh, continually. Uh, uh, fond of the literal reading. It's just all day. 24 hours a day. They're stirring up trouble against me. Uh, and this is amplified in uh, verse 3 as to the precise source of the danger, namely words. Uh, they sharpen their tongues. Obviously, the word sharpening is used of sharpening weapons. So they want to uh, harm David with their words. 
We, uh, we sometimes uh, recite the old uh, refrain, sticks and stones may break my moans, but words will never hurt me. Uh, only, only a young person, a, a small person, a, a young lad or a lass could say that. Because as adults, we know that words are profoundly dangerous. Uh, in fact, they're the beginning of all warfare in terms of propaganda and deception. And so, uh, we graduate from that estate. And like David, we acknowledge that words are incredibly uh, hurtful. Uh, and the danger here begins in the heart, and then it shifts to words to do harm to David. And the harm is captured in the simile like a serpent that intensifies the danger. And the strategy is set forth in the way that they, they want to destroy David. Uh, the word serpent is the same word that's used in Genesis 3.1. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. And how does he come to Eve? He comes to trick her. And what does he use? He uses words to trick her and deceive her. And so that's highlighting the uh, measure of the danger. I mean, there is a conceptual parallel here. Uh, the serpent goes into the garden sanctuary and David probably at court within uh, the testimony of God's people, there are men and women who are going to play him false and use words to affect his ruin. Uh, notice, notice the similarities. Serpent within the court or sanctuary uses words to deceive and destroy. And from the simile, we go to the real point of the matter, poison under their tongues. Uh, figure of speech here that uh, they want to inject with their words poisoned uh, to, uh, to destroy David. Uh, and that danger is why David's praying. Because he knows their danger. Uh, he knows their propaganda. Uh, he knows the precise intent of it. Uh, he knows that their words are like stepping on a rattlesnake and being bitten by a rattlesnake. So, he prays accurately, so keep me and preserve me. Uh, very interesting, one of my favorite psalms, the word keep is used six times in Psalm 121. Let me just read verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Notice, uh, notice the direct object, the first part of the poetic line, your soul. Uh, there's really no promise in the New Testament He will keep our bodies. Uh, we know because of the fall that our bodies are going to suffer destruction eventually. Uh, time will eventually affect incredible ruin. Uh, the forces of evil, of course, are more particularly after our soul. The most important possession we have in life is our soul. And the promise of the 121st Psalm is that God will keep our souls to the end. It's, if you will, akin to the words of our Savior in John 6, 
Of all that the Father has given me, I lose none. Because He keeps His own. And none are ever lost. That's a remarkable expression of uh, the authors of the Scriptures who are expressing uh, their confidence in God. And confidence in God is the true antidote to any danger. Uh, David repairs again to the reason uh, for his prayer. Uh, verse 4, they, they purpose to trip me or to push me so that I will fall. To trip my feet. I love the great doxology. To him who is able to keep you from tripping. That God provisions his own. He is able. No one else is able except God. Of all the forces of evil arrayed against us, we, in many respects, are powerless, but God is full of power. Awakening again uh, our confidence in God. Uh, to remind us to repair to Him early and often. Secondly, the thread is uh, centered around a uh, trap, uh, a snare, or a bait. They have, uh, you look at verse 5, they've hidden a trap for me, They've spread a net by the wayside. They'd set snares for me. Um, concept is uh, that of the fowler who sets a trap to catch a bird. The only real defense most birds have is be able to fly away, but if they're in a trap, they cannot fly away. Uh, David prays, uh, prays to God because he is able to deliver uh, the bird from the trap. Uh, and to rescue David. Emphasis in the first five verses is important reminder of something that you should engage in all the time in the year in which we are now in, and that is prayer. Uh, and the awakening of your confidence in God that there is no danger so great, so powerful, so insidious that He cannot preserve you and keep you and see you through to the end. And the object, of course, of our prayers uh, is many things. We, we pray for our needs. We pray for the needs of people we love, we know. But ultimately, the object is divine. We repair to God. God in your power. See me through, faithful to the end. Uh, and so in verses 6 to 8, there's confidence that comes from uh, David's aligning himself with God. Uh, directed, perhaps to remind David of the importance of that alignment. Uh, I remind you of uh, the fact that in uh, modern warfare, uh, it's coalition warfare, it's how the United States executes war today. Go to the United Nations or the different treaties. Uh, we don't fight alone. Uh, we fight with allies. Uh, the alignment with God means that we have an ally uh, that is able all the time, every time, to rescue us uh, from spiritual danger. Uh, 
He is acknowledging the particular name for God here, his uh, covenantal relationship uh, with God. And uh, more importantly, it's not just covenantal, it's personal. He says, uh, uh, Lord or Yahweh, you are my God. Of all the gods that there are in this world, David forsakes every one of them. Uh, there's only one God for David. There's only one God for us. Uh, we, we should use this possessive pronoun all the time. Lord, you are my God. I cannot repair to uh, any other ultimate authority or any other ultimate ability to rescue me. But I'm proclaiming that I'm identified with you. You are my God. And David is stressing his uh, personal relationship. Uh, critical reminder for us. We live in an age in which, in many respects, people have distant relationships with God. Uh, many people turn away from God. Uh, most people's relationship with God is through some ritual uh, or maybe a human priest. In David's case, it is a personal one-to-one -one relationship with God. When we uh, go to God in prayer, we are one to one before Him. Uh, it's very interesting that the the uh, the name for God here is, uh, I believe, a shortened form of Elohim. Uh, Elohim, as you know, is in the is in the plural in the Hebrew. It's uh, plural of majesty. There's not many gods. There's only one God, but ascribing the majesty uh, in Hebrew is often done uh, by putting something in the plural. Uh, so here it's a shortened form, L, God. Uh, it's a personal name for God that is more often than not followed, as you know, by descriptions of God. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to uh, Genesis 17.1. Uh, this, this name for God is used there. And uh, uh, as I've suggested, it's followed by description. Now, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Um, El Shaddai. Uh, some people translate this as God of the mountain. Uh, I prefer it as the God who is independent and totally sufficient in and of himself. Uh, now in mind, there is only one independent power in all of the universe, and that is the God that we worship. He depends on no one else. Doesn't have to depend upon anyone else because he is entirely and totally sufficient within himself. And he's the only God that is so. You and I are dependent upon so many things. God depends upon no one. If he had to depend upon someone, he wouldn't be God. Genesis uh, 21.33. We'll find the shortened form of Elohim uh, there. Uh, 21.33. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. El the eternal. No beginning or end. Only person in the entire universe that has no beginning or end. Everlasting. It's a God that we worship. 
Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God. The God who is faithful. El, the faithful. Notice the rest of the text. Who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. A great description of the majesty of the God that we, we worship and serve. God is faithful. Faithfulness and God go together. Uh, we live in a profoundly perfidious age that in many respects has lost the concept of loyalty. Use a synonym to faithfulness. God is loyal to his own. 1 Corinthians 10.13 God is faithful who will see you through your troubles. Jeremiah 32.18 Another great description of the majesty of uh, the God that we worship and serve. Jeremiah 32.18 Thou showest loving kindness to thousands, but repayest the iniquity of fathers into the bosom of their children after them. O great and mighty God! El the Great, none greater. Uh, when you use uh, adjectives like the greatest, superlatives, comparatives like that, they really only apply to God. He alone is the greatest. It's a reminder that uh, this is really the source of our confidence, it's not within ourselves. It's in God. Uh, and our confidence in God is the antidote to whatever dangers we might face in the year that's before us. Uh, and so David uh, in his prayer says, in verse 6, Lord, lend me your ear. Listen to me. Hear me. Of course, God can do no other. He hears and knows everything. It's a figure of speech. Uh, anthropomorphism greater reality is that he is always mindful and tends to the ears of his sons and daughters. I, I on occasion, uh, get attracted on uh, television by the great animal programs. I was watching one that was uh, a naturalist in Venezuela. I was attracted because uh, I, I know a little bit about Venezuela since I was born there and lived there for almost a dozen years. Uh, oftentimes we would go out on these great fishing trips into the bush or the jungle. And uh, the rivers in Venezuela uh, filled with crocodiles, alligators, great beasts of prey. Um, so this naturalist was uh, studying the relationship uh, between the mother croc uh, and their young. And he picked up on a cry that when the young would uh, evoke this certain cry, the mother would come. Well, you and I are, in many respects, are like that. God is attentive to our cries for help. And He responds uh, in many, many ways. Uh, more often not with me, it's very slowly, but 
He always responds. Uh, sometimes in my own personal life, I have to look backwards to say, you know, I didn't recognize it at the time, but God was there. And God is always there because of who He is. And here again, evoking our confidence in Him is the antidote to danger. Uh, so we, we repair to the identity of, uh, of the God who is described in verse 7 as the strength of our salvation. Uh, he is powerful to save his own. Uh, and David describes him in this way, you've covered my head in the day of battle. Uh, figure of speech meaning that David's alignment with God uh, secures his protection. So another psalm that uh, picks up in a very beautiful way the fact that his, his head is covered, Psalm 91.4. Psalmist says, He will cover you with His wings, and under His wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. God covering His own, protecting them. And our confidence is also in God's ability to thwart the designs of our enemies, verses 9 to 11. Psalm 140. Uh, very interesting here that uh, uh, David uh, asked God to destroy his enemies uh, from the Old Testament standard of lex talionis, retribution. Uh, God, they're coming after me, so you go after them. Um, and the beauty of this prayer uh, in my own mind is uh, David is asking God to do to them what they are attempting to do to him. Retribution, one upon one. Uh, let's, let's look at the Lex Talionis. Uh, may the mischief of their lips overwhelm them. So they're seeking uh, and speaking to do mischief against me. Uh, turn it back on them like a boomerang. Uh, the word... Uh, Lips cover them. It's very interesting. Uh, the word cover is uh, used in Song of Moses uh, of God using the sea to cover uh, the armies of Pharaoh. I mean, you know the picture? Pharaoh was driving the children of Israel into the sea. They miraculously escape on a land bridge provided by God. And then when the armies of Pharaoh are in the sea, the Seas cover them. Lex Talionis. They want to drown children of Israel? No, it's Pharaoh and all of his charioteers that get drowned. Uh, how does that work for the power of God? Uh, secondly, they want to burn me. Verse 10. So since they want to burn me with their words, Lord, you burn them. This is very graphic. May burning coals fall upon them. May they be cast into the fire, into the deep pits from which they cannot rise. Again, notice the retribution. They're coming to burn me, but you burn them. 
They want me to fall, but you call, you cause them to fall into the pits which they have dug for me. And may they never rise again. Uh, lastly, um, verse 11, uh, may a slanderer, literally in the Hebrew text, it's uh, a man of the tongue. So he's using his tongue to slander. Uh, may the slander not be established. And while they seek evil for me, may evil hunt the man of violence. Uh, the New American Standard reads uh, speedily. It's probably a great translation. Uh, the literal text is blow after blow. Rain upon them, God. Uh, they, they relentlessly seek my harm. So relentlessly pursue them. Notice again uh, the beauty of the text in terms of justice. May evil hunt the violent man speedily. So, incredible irony here. David is the hunted. He's asking God now to hunt them down. Uh, Psalm 35.6 let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. We don't think in those, at least I don't think in those terms. But of all the men and women throughout the centuries who seek to do harm to God's people, uh, they are hunting, but really, when they hunt God's people, they become the hunted ones. And who is hunting them? of the angel of the Lord, God Himself. Uh, it's a powerful imagery. Uh, I know most of you in the congregation are not hunters. But I also know that some of you are. But the imagery is uh, very, very shaking uh, to me. Uh, because the hunter is relentless. He sets traps or bait. Uh, he, he practices with the weapon of his choice. God doesn't need to practice. God doesn't need to bait any traps. Uh, he hunts. And for all those who seek violence against God's people, uh, He will return it upon them, uh, hunting them. Of course, in the New Testament, we're, we're taught to love our enemies. Um, but there's nothing at all wrong with praying that God would restrain evil men. Uh, I found uh, in the year uh, that we've just uh, concluded yesterday that uh, one of the contents of my own prayers is, Lord, restrain wickedness and lawlessness that seemingly is everywhere. Hold it back, Lord. Restrain it. Keep it. Uh, from harming thy people. And we think all over the world, the church suffering violence in places like China and North Korea, uh, even in our own country to a certain respect. Uh, it's an important prayer to pray, Lord, restrain evil. And maybe on occasion to remind people that if you're hunting God's people, you're really the hunted one. 
uh, to warn people uh, of what venue they have entered when they seek to harm God's little ones. Uh, remind them that they will come to judgment. Turn with me, if you would, to uh, Deuteronomy uh, 32-35. Uh, it's a text I oftentimes make uh, reference to. Uh, God says, vengeance is mine, and retribution. Uh, and then the phrase, in due time, their foot will slip. I said earlier, uh, because we know the Lord, we have a personal relationship with Him, our feet will not slip. But in due time, their foot will slip. And they will fall and never rise again. I'm, I will tell you, I, I pray on occasion, Lord, I mean, isn't it time for Putin's foot to slip? I mean, the incredible harm that he's inflicted on the church in Ukraine? Well, the text says, in due time, in due time, his foot will slip. It is a reminder that that belongs to God. It's in his providence, not only to affect it, but the timing thereof. And it is a provocation in my own heart to have confidence in God uh, in times of danger. Because in due time, they will fall away. We have to leave it in the hands of God. Or, case may be, civil government. Uh, but the implied warning to non-Christian people who seek to harm the church is very simply and powerfully that God will come for them. I know they laugh it off. Uh, lots of people laugh at the Scriptures, laugh at God. Read Proverbs chapter 1. Uh, the wise man trying to teach young men uh, and eventually he turns and says, in a day, danger will come. And because you have neglected my words, you will pray to me, but I won't answer you. You will seek me and you cannot find me. Reminder to us that today is a day of salvation. If you don't know Christ, come to him quickly. Because in due time, whatever that time is in the providence of God, but it's a great reminder for us as Christians uh, that we can be uh, confident that God will answer us and reward us, verses 12 and 13. David knows God answers prayers for protection. It's true that it's in his time and his way, but it's just as true that he also rewards his own. Uh, Psalm 23.6 Truly goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The wicked will be shut out. All who try to harm God's people will be shut out. And we uh, will be rewarded with goodness and mercy throughout all eternity. 
So this prayer is a reminder in uh, this new year to recover times of danger, our confidence in God. Uh, That he is the author of our salvation, that his providence is set upon us for protection, uh, and he will keep us in this new year. Uh, And we know that and should know that what God did for David, he will do to all those who know him personally through saving faith in Jesus Christ. Confidence in God because of His loyalty and His love to His people. And we have a profound imagery of that before us uh, this morning uh, in the sacrament of the Lord's table. That our Savior came uh, and uh, He loved His own and He loved Him uh, even, even to the cross, even to the shedding of blood. Uh, And he shed his blood to purchase them, to set them free. Uh, And and so I remind you that uh, uh, we have in the bread uh, a marvelous symbol and reminder that our Savior gave the entirety of his physical body in persecution and suffering. He held nothing back. He went, if you will, the distance to secure his own. Uh, the imagery of the bread, obviously, in the Old Testament, the manna uh, to sustain the children of Israel in the wilderness where there was no food. Uh, as we feast upon Christ uh, by faith, uh, we reckon all of the benefits of his covenant to us uh, inaugurated by the body of Christ. Now, there's nothing in the, uh, the communion wafer or cracker. Uh, the point is by faith. By faith. Uh, remind you again of a beautiful text uh, to me. Uh, we often quote it uh, on the day of the sacrament. Uh, John uh, chapter 6, uh, verses 53 uh, to 58. Uh, our Savior uses this imagery of his own Uh, body and uh, blood. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourself. Symbolic references to faith in Him and what He did. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise Him up on the last day. Great promise. Uh, Rescue and recover His own. And none are lost. This uh, service is uh, open to all who uh, have a personal faith in Christ, who've been baptized, and uh, are not under any church discipline. Uh, it's not uh, uh, the table of a Grace Bible Church, the table of the Lord. So if you have a personal faith in Christ, uh, you are certainly welcome to partake. Uh, I ask that as the uh, service is passed to you, that you would uh, hold... Uh, the bread, and we'll tell which time all are served, and then we will pray together as an expression of the unity of the church uh, partaking uh, together uh, of the great sacrament. Uh, There is uh, ample occasion in the passing of the service to engage in private prayer, give thanks to God for His sacrifice, uh, to praise Him for His goodness, 
Uh, to know that if he gave himself, then he will withhold nothing to keep us. Uh, and that the last day would come quickly. Uh, so let's uh, prepare our hearts uh, for the, the taking of the bread. Our Father, we give thee thanksgiving for the bread that came down out of heaven uh, for what our Savior accomplished in total, absolute forgiveness. Uh, our fellowship with Him, a covenantal relationship that will transcend uh, time and recover us and keep us safe. Uh, bless us, Lord, as we uh, partake, both individually and corporately, uh, to signify that we, we belong to the great and only Redeemer, Jesus Christ. We confess no other. Our hope is in no one else but Him. And make us full that we might go away strengthened all the more to live for the glories of His kingdom. And we also, Lord, are reminded uh, to pray that Thou wouldst come quickly and establish uh, Thy kingdom visibly that we might enjoy the fullness of thy presence. But until that day, keep us confident and faithful, looking to thee and thy goodness to secure us. And these things, Lord, that we ask in your name, Christ our Redeemer. Amen. As the service of the wine is passed, I remind you that in the periphery there is grape juice, in the center there is wine, that each may partake freedom of their own conscience and traditions. Uh, but more importantly, that uh, Christ drank the cup of judgment. Uh, I know those are very easy words to say, but when we think about the crucifixion, um, all of the judgment that we deserved, um, he satisfied. Uh, he, he drank the cup. Uh, to its most bitter dregs, and bitter certainly uh, they were. Uh, but he inaugurates a new covenant in his blood. We will never drink the cup of judgment. It's a cup of blessing. Blessings of the new covenant that accrue to us because he inaugurates it in his, by it in his blood. So as I pass the service, uh, you have an occasion to pray and give thanks to God. Uh, hold the cup until which time uh, all are served, and then we will uh, we will drink together. Uh, we will celebrate together uh, the cup of the new covenant. So let's prepare our hearts uh, for the cup of the Lord's table. Our Heavenly Father, we come with uh, hearts uh, full of joy, thanksgiving, acknowledgement of, uh, of the cost uh, that was paid by our only and blessed Redeemer, uh, and for the joy that we now have as the sons of God. Uh, a joy that uh, envelops us in the present age, in the coming of the Spirit, but also uh, a joy that will achieve its uh, fullness in the eternal estate. Uh, but joy nonetheless, the beauty of it, the majesty of it, we will celebrate. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. And that even now we have the sure and certain confidence that our feet will not slip. Uh, that we will... We will be protected to the end. Our souls will be preserved. 
grant us, Lord, in uh, this manner as we uh, partake of the cup, as we celebrate uh, the new covenant and all of its blessings, uh, that the joy that we have might be intensified and that the world might see a measure of it and be envious. And uh, may we have occasion early and often to speak to them about uh, the only Redeemer of God's elect, even Jesus Christ. Uh, but now, Lord, we do uh, give Thee thanksgiving and uh, thank Thee for uh, this cup, the new covenant that we celebrate uh, in remembrance, uh, but also in fellowship with our great Savior, Jesus Christ, whose name we pray, Amen.